This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Watching Logan, I'm reminded of a passage that you and I read uh, not too many days ago out of New Testament Challenge about the children who were making noise in the temple, right? And the leader said, you know, get those kids to pipe down. And Jesus said, don't you know? It's out of the mouths of children that God has perfected praise. And it doesn't get a whole lot better than that when you see children who just love God, love to be where He is. So let's talk about radical love for for the next few minutes, okay? And I'm going to take you to a passage of Scripture because last week we talked about the fact that the theme of the entire Bible was that Jesus is the what? Messiah, which also means... Christ. And that, and that it was actually, uh, it manifests itself in two ways. Jesus the Messiah means that Jesus is the Savior and Jesus is what? The Lord. Yes. So that's about the position of Jesus. Now today, we're going to look at, the, we're going to shift our attention from the position that Jesus has to his actual teachings. And for the next Several weeks. We're going to focus on the major themes of the teachings of the New Testament. And this morning we're going to start with a number one theme. It is the overarching theme for all of the New Testament. And in fact, we're going to go to to two passages. Take a look. John chapter 13. Jesus said, I am giving you a new commandment. I want you to circle or underline new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you you should love each other. Now, also in his ministry, Jesus reflected on this many times, but I want to point you to one where he very clearly talks about this radical love. Here it is in Matthew chapter 22. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God. Circle the word love. With all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And then he said, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor. You can circle and underline that word love. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now the entire law and all of the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Wow. Like a a thread that runs through the entire New Testament is this concept of radical love. So the question is, what did Jesus mean by this radical love? When he he challenges us and says a new commandment, he says, in essence, this is the only commandment I'm bringing. I'm just bringing you one. And it's a new commandment. And yet, it wasn't new. Had those people ever heard that they should love their neighbor? What do you think? Of course they had heard that. But Jesus is saying to them, I'm bringing you a new commandment in the sense that I'm calling you to love each other as I have loved you. And then he spends his entire ministry teaching his followers what that looks like. And so this morning, we're going to go to his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to draw out of it four passages where Jesus comments on the four choices that this radical love he was bringing, four choices it makes. And for the purposes of our teaching this morning, 
uh, I'm going to subject you to some more very poor artwork. All right. So we're going to we're going to draw up here. Let's see, four mountains. And because I'm really creative, each one looks different from the other. Right. There you go. Each one is successively higher than the other. And we're going to see what those four mountain peaks, those four choices that radical love makes. And we're going to let Jesus define it in his own terms. So let's go here to Matthew chapter 5 and look at the very first one. Jesus says, you have heard that the law says uh, that the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat as well. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Man, how many of you, does that sound like fun? There's nothing in that passage that appeals to me. I can tell you that already. And yet, that's what Jesus calls us to. Now, I want to start with a caveat, because if you don't understand that Scripture in the context of all the rest of Scripture, you could very easily think that Jesus is calling you to subject yourself to abuse. I want to take that off the board right now. Jesus never in any way ever condones any form of abuse, and he never calls his people to put up with any form of abuse. And in fact, even in his own life, except on the day he was crucified, when he willingly took the punishment and abuse of your sin and mine, other than that day, Jesus never allowed himself to be abused. Am I making sense to you? Okay. So we're not talking. So now let's go back and look at this passage and see what it really does say. Because it says, do not resist an evil person. And then he gives the context. This is not evil in the sense that someone is abusing or persecuting or any of those things. This is evil in the sense that someone has actually gone to court and has manipulated the legal system to get something out of you that they don't deserve. Okay? And he lists three things. The first thing is, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, did you know that was a legal punishment in Jesus' culture? This wasn't somebody who got, who got mad and walked up and just whacked somebody. This is somebody who went to court and convinced the judge that you had done something against them that deserved to have you slapped. Okay? Sounds silly in our court system, right? Okay? We don't even do a good job of hitting them on the back of the hand. Never mind. All right. It's a totally different subject. All right? Now he says, if you are sued in court and you lose your shirt, you know, that can happen says, give them your coat also. This is a person, again, Jesus characterizes as evil. In other words, this is not a fair situation. This is an unfair situation where someone has hired a big-time lawyer who is manipulating the facts to unjustly take away your shirt or whatever else it is you own. Jesus said, give it all to them. Then he goes on to talk about a Roman soldier. Because the Jewish nation was under Roman occupation, and legally a Roman soldier could walk up to any Jew at any time, take the pack off of his back, and say, I'm going a mile this direction, I need you to carry that. And it didn't make any difference what you were doing. If you were on your way home and you were in trouble with your wife because you were late for dinner, you were just now going to be later. That's just how it worked. 
And Jesus says, go the second mile. Now here's the choice. And the choice of this first mountain peak is going to be radical love chooses to respond peacefully. Let me tell you what that looks like in my own life. We all have pet peeves when we drive, correct? Because of those idiots we share the road with. Right? So I'm sitting, here's my pet peeve. I'm sitting at a, at a light waiting to turn left and there are three cars in front of me and the light is red and I'm watching the guy in front of me and he's messing with something in his lap, probably texting or some other thing. And he's in, I know what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen, right? Light's going to turn green. The cars in front of me are going to leave. He's not going to be ready. He's not going to leave. The traffic sensor is going to read it that no one else is in that turn lane, Right? It's going to turn the light red, and we're going to get stuck on another, on another cycle, right? That's exactly how it happened, only worse. Sure enough, I'm sitting back there, I'm watching. He's not going to be ready. He's not going to be ready. Sure enough, light turns green. Two cars take off. All of a sudden, he realizes, oh, oh, there you go. And the light turns yellow, and he guns it and goes through on the yellow and leaves me with the red. What's mountain peak number one? Radical love chooses to respond minus the horn, minus the one-finger salute, minus rolling the window down and yelling and screaming, minus calling him an idiot even in your own car, to respond peacefully. Is that a challenge for most of us? Yeah, it is. Okay? whether on the road or at home, with the idiots who share our house with us. (laughs) I'm just kind of calling it like it is this morning, right? Yes. All right. So we respond peacefully. We think, woohoo, I'm done. I am a lover of people like Jesus. Okay, well, number two. Jesus says, radical love chooses to forgive freely. And I'm going to read you two passages, and let's go to the bottom passage first. Jesus said, you have heard the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That makes sense to me. But Jesus said, I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he causes his reign to fall on the just and the unjust alike. And so Jesus says this to us, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And then he puts it in the negative. If, however, you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. I have a really good friend who says to me, Ron, I have a great memory. I mean, I have a great memory. It's just short. I want you to think about that for a minute. Yeah. You know, the truth is, everyone in our audience forgives. We all forgive. It's just some of us don't forgive for very long. Right? And we're very selective about who we forgive. Jesus wants to put it very clearly. Radical love forgives freely. Not just a select few, everyone. And as many times as we need to forgive them in order for us to live a free life. 
And he makes it very clear that our forgiveness and love of other people, including our enemies, is modeled after the love that God has for us so that we can be his children. Now, I recognize we could spend the whole morning on forgiveness. So instead of doing that, I'm going to point you to some help. And if you look down in your teaching notes, there, there's, a, there's a web address that you can plug into your web browser. And that will bring up the podcast archive for this church. And if you click on the word freedom, there are five messages that we gave a year ago on how to forgive. It's how to give forgiveness, how to receive forgiveness. It's on why forgiveness. It's even on how to rebuild trust after your trust has been broken so that you don't end up in an abusive or unhealthy relationship. It's all very practical stuff. So I put it in there for you because if you're struggling right now with this in your life, with anybody, uh, then, then I want to point you to that resource and I want to encourage you to go pull up those podcasts And listen, allow God to teach you about that because radical love chooses to forgive freely. Let's go to the third mountain peak. And that is radical love chooses to view others graciously. You know what I find with most Christians? When we get to the peaceful response and we get to forgiving freely, I'm done. What could there be beyond that? Right? Well, Jesus said, no, no, no. This this is about how you outwardly act. This is about the initial thing that goes on in your heart. But you know something? It's quite possible to forgive people and still have a critical spirit against them in your heart. Am I right with that? Yeah, absolutely. So what does Jesus say? Do not judge others and you will not be judged. Four, you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about the speck? in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own. How can you think of saying to your friend, hey, come over here and let me get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrites! First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. I want to introduce you to a concept. We often talk about reading between the lines in communication, and that's really important. It means when you talk to me, I'm not only listening for what you're saying, I'm also listening for what you're trying to say that you don't actually say. That's really important, okay? But I want to talk to you this morning about the concept of reading above the line and reading below the line. Did you know that everything someone does in your life or everything someone says to you, you have the opportunity to put it in either a positive context or a negative context in your own mind? And you do that every time someone talks to you. You either give them the benefit of the doubt and read above the line, or you view what they say with skepticism and read below the line. And friends, you choose every time. Can I tell you that radical love chooses to view others graciously. It chooses to read above the line consistently. To take what you say to me and to put it in the positive context, to give you every benefit of the doubt, to see and to look for the very best in you. And I, I, that doesn't mean that you put your judgment, your, your ability to, to, to decipher or discern when someone's taking advantage of you. It doesn't mean you kiss that goodbye. But it does mean that you realistically 
At every opportunity that you have realistically, you choose to read above the line. Now, I want to speak to those of you who would say to me, but pastor, you don't understand. You know, the world is filled with two kinds of people. The kind that have the cup half full and the kind that have what? The cup half empty. I was born one of those that the cup is half empty. I have a message for you. Throw that cup away. Got it? That cup will never get you anywhere good. Jesus never had that kind of cup. He never called his people to have that kind of cup. Radical love chooses to read above the line with the cup half full. Number four. Jesus says to us, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. So the last thing that radical love does is it serves sacrificially. We start with outward behavior. We're going to respond peacefully. We move to two levels in the heart. Number one, we're going to forgive from the heart. And number two, we're going to choose to view whatever they say in our heart. We're going to get rid of any critical spirit, any skeptical spirit, and we're going to view them with graciousness. And now we're going to go back out into how we act because we're going to tie a bow on this thing by serving sacrificially. I was so delighted when Justin pointed you to the fact that it was the radical love of Jesus that caused him to get up off of the throne of heaven and come to earth and give his life. Friends, that was not natural. That was not normal. It was radical. And he did it for you and for me. And now he calls you and me to do the same. Now, this is not a new command except in one way. Way back as far as Hammurabi, um, which was... Uh, centuries before Jesus. We find versions of the golden rule, but historically they were stated in the negative. For instance, in the code of Hammurabi, it says, do not do to other people anything that you would not want done to yourself. So it was the avoidance of treating people unfairly. Jesus came along and said, no, we can do way better than that. He said, not only refrain from doing things you wouldn't want done to you, but actually on the positive end, do things that you would want done to you. He took it to a whole new dimension. And, and in that passage where it, where it says, do to others, would you do yourself a favor? Would you circle and underline the word do? This is a call to action. It means that when you see someone who's struggling in life, you ask yourself this question, if I were struggling in their position, what would I want someone to do for me? It means when you see a person who's wealthy and they look like they need nothing, you would ask yourself this question, if I was wealthy and, and, and I looked like I didn't need anything, how would I want other people to interact with me? It means when you see someone who, who has just gotten a raise and they've gotten a promotion at work and they are sky high and, and you look at your own life, I would like to have a raise. No, 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 it's not how you do that. You look at that and say, if I had just received a promotion and a raise, how would I want people to respond to me? And then you serve them as you would want to be served. That's what Jesus did. And that's what he calls us to 
I want to wrap this up with four principles that we're going to walk through. And by the way, did you notice these four things don't need a whole lot of explanation? They're just straightforward, okay? I'm going to give you four principles that you need to know in order to embrace these well. And the first is God doesn't want us to live by, the co- by, the natu- by our natural impulses or a code of fairness. What he wants us to do is to live by the radical law of love. In fact, you could write this down in your notes. We all have a sense of fairness. You can write the word fairness down and then draw an arrow beside it. And next to fairness, I want you to write the word justice. Because our sense of fairness will always lead us to a position of justice. And I want you to write next to justice the word punishment. Because there are no perfect people in this world. So as long as you and I operate by the code of fairness, which is one of our natural impulses, we're going to tend to want to bring justice to other people. And that means we're going to be punitive in nature. And you know what? Punitive leads to vengeance. I'll talk to you about that in just a minute. You know what radical love does? Radical love doesn't start with a sense of fairness. It starts with a sense of concern. Okay? And that concern leads us to a position of grace and help. That's why radical love and fairness lead to two different places, which is why all the way through the Bible, the Bible, God never calls us throughout the entire New Testament to give people what they deserve. Because God didn't give us what we deserve, correct? Right. So we can't give other people what they deserve. He calls us to this radical love. Principle number two is this. Radical love isn't a feeling that leads to a choice. It's a choice that leads to a feeling. Boy, that's how we have it backwards in the United States of America. How do you know you love someone? Oh, I just swoon when they come around. I get this feeling, and because I am drawn to them, because I'm attracted to them, because I love them, I choose to treat them well. But if I'm not drawn to someone, and I'm not naturally attracted to them, I don't feel any duty or compulsion to treat them in any certain way, because man, I love them anyway. Jesus said, no, radical love doesn't start with a feeling. By the way, When Jesus was sitting on the throne of heaven looking down and seeing you and me struggling in our misery, he didn't go, aren't they cute? Man, I'm so drawn to them. Look at us. Who in their right mind from heaven would be drawn to us? No one would be. But Jesus chose to love us. And he said, when I choose to love someone, and I start acting in love toward them, there's an amazing thing that happens. I end up with this feeling in my heart. I'm genuine. I'm drawn to them. Which is why Jesus shed tears over you and me. He didn't shed those tears in heaven. Not that I know of. The Bible doesn't say anything about that. It was after He came to earth, after He chose to love us, after he chose to get next to us, and after he chose to participate in the struggles of our life with us, that he came to have that feeling. Principle number three. Radical love is a choice we make through the actions we take. I want you to read that out loud with me. Ready? Radical love is a choice we make through the actions we take. You know what my mom used to say to me? Ron, 
what you do speak so loudly, I can't hear what you say. It kind of lets you know that when I was a kid, I claimed to be a whole lot more than I actually was, correct? Yeah. We all tend to do that. It's Radical love is not understanding that the Greeks had four words for love and you know that what all four were and that the, the last one that Jesus brought was that agape and that you, you have chosen, yes, I'm going to be one of those people and I'll teach everybody about and I'll call every No, no, no. Radical love is manifested not by what you know, not by what you say, not by what you teach, not even by what you train others to do. Radical love is manifested how? In the actions you take. Tomorrow when you're sitting in line four deep and the light turns red and the guy in front of you doesn't move, you have the opportunity to live in radical love, respond peacefully, forgive him, view him through the eyes of grace, and find a way to serve him or her if possible. Yeah. And number four. Radical love is available only through a divine source. God's given us a wonderful illustration of this in the sun and the moon. The sun has the ability to generate light. The moon does not. The moon can only reflect light that it receives. And the Bible is very clear that God is like the sun in that he generates radical love, and you and I are incapable of generating radical love on our own, but we do have the ability to receive it and then give it out and reflect it. And that's what we have been called to do. Take a look at what the Apostle John said. We love each other because, what? He loved us first. So how do we apply this message? I want to give us three ways we can apply it and spend a minute or two on each one. And the first way that we can apply it is by choosing to, to respond with our third impulse, not our first. Okay? I am like you. When I'm sitting at that light and the guy in front of me doesn't move, my first impulse is not to bless. Okay? In fact, if you want to know what my first impulse is, my first impulse is vengeance. That's why they put horns in cars. It's a vengeance taker, right? Yeah. I want you to think what vengeance is. You know, Jesus talks about the fact that that the Old Testament law, there was a place in there for an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You know what I've noticed about vengeance? Vengeance is never satisfied with one eye for an eye. We want two eyes for one eye, right? Because we're not only going to get even, we're going to teach them a lesson. Right? That's right. Idiots like that should be taught a lesson. If I honk the horn and pull in front of them and make their life miserable, they will go, oh my goodness, I should never do that again. (laughs) How stupid are we? (laughs) They're never going to come away with that. Yeah. See, the problem with vengeance, our first impulse, is we don't want to get even with them. We want to get ahead of them. That's impulse number one. Then we think about that a little bit more rationally, and we say, I shouldn't actually get ahead of him. I should just get even. So then we try to find some punishment that actually fits the crime. And as soon as we think about that, that doesn't fit the law of radical love at all. Then we filter down to our third impulse, which is the one that actually comes from God and the Spirit of God who says... Why not respond?
peacefully and start the chain reaction of radical love. So the first way we can respond this week is to make a conscious effort to filter all the way down to impulse number three before we act. Okay? Second thing that we can do is this. Most of us in the audience this morning have people, a person right now that you have right in the front of your mind, it's on the tip of your tongue. If I, if I were to ask you this question, is there anyone right now in your life that you're struggling to forgive? The vast majority of us, right away, somebody pops in. Okay? Well, if you're waiting to feel like forgiving them, friends, that's not going to come. So the deal is, you're going to choose to serve them in some way this week and make the choice to love them with radical love, believing that the feeling will follow the choice. Okay? So that's how you can apply it. Number two, do something specific to bless a person that you're struggling to forgive. And number three, to pray daily for a fresh infusion of God's radical love for the purpose, not just so you can feel loved. Oh, God, love me, love me. I want to feel loved. Okay? No, God, would you infuse me with your radical love because there's a whole world of people out there I want to go love. And I can't love them with your radical love until you give it to me first. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for teaching us so clearly, Lord Jesus, about this radical love. Would you give us grace now to respond to you in ways that would actually change our lives and would bless the people around us and would also bless you. We thank you for that wonderful privilege. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.